People often wonder if dinosaurs were wiped out in Noah's flood or if they've lived more recently. Did dinosaurs live after the flood? This week on Creation Magazine Live. Welcome to another audio podcast from your friends at CMI. Faith-building evidences for the accuracy of the Bible are coming right up. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. My name is Matt Bondi. And I'm Thomas Bailey. Now this week our topic is, did dinosaurs live after the flood? Now the first thing you might ask is, why does it matter? I mean, do dinosaurs have an effect on the way we think about the world? Well, dinosaurs definitely are an item of interest for many people. But along with dinosaurs comes the notion that they lived millions of years ago. This alone can cause people to question the Bible, which teaches that the earth is only a few thousand years old. Yeah, now sadly there have been many examples of people who lost faith in the Bible because of dinosaurs in millions of years. For example, in 2016, Tom Holland, a popular author and documentary presenter, wrote an article for the New Statesman entitled, Why I Was Wrong About Christianity, recounting how one of his earliest problems with Christianity began with dinosaurs. He wrote, when I was a boy, my upbringing as a Christian was forever being weathered by the gale force of my enthusiasms. First, there were dinosaurs. I vividly remember my shock when, at Sunday school one day, I opened up a child's Bible and found an illustration on its first page of Adam and Eve with a brachiosaur. Six years old I may have been, but of one thing to my regret I was rock-solid certain, no human being had ever seen a sauropod. A faint shadow of doubt, for the first time, had been brought to darken my Christian faith. Mm. And he's not alone. A blogger writing for the Meaning Without God Project writes, Dinosaurs were my gateway drug to atheism. And while I was still six or seven years away from reaching the conclusion that either God didn't care about us or that God didn't exist, the dinosaurs had shared an important secret, that the Bible can be wrong. Okay, so here's the crux of the issue. Dinosaurs are being used to undermine the historicity of the Bible, particularly the creation account in the book of Genesis. Now, this has led to many to abandon their Christianity altogether, seeing it as incompatible with the alleged facts of evolution history. Right. But contrary to the view of evolutionary history that dinosaurs existed in some prehistoric era, the Bible declares that dinosaurs were created on day six of creation week along with the rest of the land animals and Adam and Eve. Now, these are obviously two very different histories. And as we often ask here at CMI, which history fits best? <laughs> well, if the Bible's history is true, it means that humans and dinosaurs really did coexist. Now, some people might object, asking, why then does the Bible not mention dinosaurs? Well, the reason for this is that the word dinosaur was coined in 1841 by Sir Richard Owen. It means terrible lizard. But English translations of the Bible date back hundreds of years before that, such as the King James Version in 1611. So when the Bible was first translated into English, the word dinosaur didn't even exist. Yeah, the question is, are there other words in the Bible that refer to dinosaurs? Job 40, verse 15 to 19, gives a detailed description of a creature named Behemoth. It reads, Behold Behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. So what is behemoth? 
God is clearly describing an actual creature because he said he made it just like he made Job. And he says to Job, behold behemoth, which means he's referring to something that Job would recognize and could even go and look at. Now, some Bibles have footnotes which suggest behemoth might be an elephant or a hippopotamus. Uh, But take a closer look at the description that says, he makes his tail stiff like a cedar. Now, if you look at the tail of an elephant, does that look anything like a cedar tree? Or how about a hippopotamus? Clearly, neither of these animals match the description of behemoth in the Bible. Makes you wonder why the footnotes suggest such a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing to remember about those footnotes is that they are not the inspired word of God. They're simply comments from well-meaning theologians who are trying to help us better understand the text. But those theologians are human and prone to mistakes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Well-intentioned as they may be, those commentators probably just can't envision that Job might have seen something like this. Uh, Rather than an elephant or hippopotamus, the description of behemoth better matches a sauropod dinosaur. And that's not just because of the tail, but because it eats grass like an ox and is called the first of the works of God. Right. The problem, of course, is that dinosaur fossils have only been discovered and identified in the last couple hundred years and are thought to be millions of years old. So you can see why commentators might not think the behemoth could be a dinosaur, or at least be reluctant to suggest such a thing. Yeah, and then there's uh, Leviathan. Uh, This is another creature described by God in Job 41. Now here's part of the description in verse 15 to 21. It says, His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke. As from a boiling pot and burning rushes, his breath kindles coals, and a flame comes forth from his mouth. Now, what does that sound like to you? (laughs) Did you get a certain image in your mind? (laughs) CMI speakers ask that question in churches all over the world, and the answer is almost always a dragon. Think about it. His sneezings flash forth light. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke. A flame comes forth from his mouth. Job 41 gives a description of a sea creature with thick, heavy armor that can do all of these things as well. So it makes sense that people would hear that and think of a dragon. Yeah, but wait a second here. Uh, dragons, they're just, they're just a myth, aren't they? Fairy tales? What if they're not? <laughs> Remember, God is describing actual creatures to Job here. And the word dragon also appears several times in Scripture, many times in reference to a real animal. For example, Isaiah 43.20 in the King James Version reads, The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. True, in Jeremiah 14.6 we find, And the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons. Both of these writers refer to dragons as real creatures, not a myth and both lived hundreds of years after the flood. Now, we looked at a description of Leviathan in Job 41. Now, that sounds a lot like a dragon. Uh, And we saw that dragons are often referred to in Scripture as real creatures. We've all probably heard legends about dragons as we were growing up. They were often described as monstrous, lizard-like creatures with wings, and they could breathe fire. 
In these legends, a hero would often ride off to rescue a damsel in distress from one of these terrible beasts. Now, are these just made-up stories, or is there something more to them? Legends are often based on an actual event, although it may get exaggerated over time. Uh, there are many legends about dragons from all over the world. One of the oldest is of Gilgamesh, the hero of an ancient Babylonian epic who killed a huge reptile-like creature named Kumbaba in a cedar forest. Uh, the early Britons provide the first European accounts of reptilian monsters, one of which killed and devoured King Morvidus of Wales around 336 BC. The epic Anglo-Saxon poem Beowulf tells how Beowulf of Scandinavia killed a monster named Grendel. But later on, he eventually lost his life in the process of killing a flying reptile. Now, the Saxon description of this reptile fits that of a giant pteranodon. Grendel, however, is described as a youngster, man-like in stance, and he had two small forelimbs, one of which Beowulf tore off, and the creature's skin was impervious to sword blows. And other stories include uh, Siegfried of the ancient Teutons, uh, possibly the same person as uh, Sigurd of Old Norse, uh, who slew a monster named Fafner. Uh, and there's Tristan, and perhaps the most famous of all is St. George, who became the patron saint of England. Then there's a story related by one of the late church fathers, John of Damascus. In the 8th century, he wrote, Dio the Roman, also known as Cassius Dio, uh, who lived from uh, A.D. 155 to 236, who wrote the history of the Roman Empire and Republic, reports the following. One day when Regulus, a Roman consul from the 3rd century B.C., was fighting against Carthage, a dragon suddenly crept up and settled behind the wall of the Roman army. The Romans killed it by order of Regulus, skinned it, and sent the hide to the Roman Senate. When the dragon's hide, as Dio says, was measured by order of the Senate, it happened to be, amazingly, 120 feet long, and the thickness was fitting to the length. Now, this is not one of those heroic uh, legends like the ones we just mentioned. It's an account of an actual encounter with a dragon, written by a Roman historian and repeated by one of the church fathers. Yeah, now, dragon images show up all over the world as well. Uh, there's a dragon on the flag of Wales under the later Eastern Roman empires. The purple dragon ensign became the ceremonial standard called the Dracontian. Uh, other kings who used the dragon ensign include uh, Richard I in 1191, went on crusade, and uh, Henry III in 1245 when he went to war against the Welsh. Then there's the Chinese zodiac. You may be aware that the Chinese calendar follows this sequence of animals. So we have the year of the rat, the year of the ox, and so on. On this list, there are 11 animals we recognize today, plus a dragon. Now... Does it make sense that the Chinese would use 11 actual creatures and one mythical one? Or does it make more sense that the dragon was a real creature as well? As we mentioned in the Bible, uh, it indicates that dragons are real creatures, and the number of legends and artifacts depicting dragons back this up. If that's true, then what are they really? Well, we can look through the World Book Encyclopedia for a clue. Here's an entry from 1973. The dragons of legend are strangely like actual creatures that have lived in the past. They are much like the great reptiles, or dinosaurs, which inhabited the earth long before man is supposed to have appeared on the earth. 
So they're attacking this from a, an evolutionary standpoint, assuming creatures that lived millions of years ago, but also acknowledging that dinosaurs and dragons are very similar. Yeah, now this is uh, not the only place we find this idea put forward. Uh, famous evolutionist Carl Sagan wrote a book titled The Dragons of Eden uh, to try to explain the puzzling coincidence of widespread legends of huge reptilian dinosaur-like creatures. In other words, dragons. Yeah. Now, not willing to consider the obvious explanation that the Bible's right and evolution wrong and, and dinosaurs and man live together, uh, he came up with the astounding proposal that since our brain evolved from a reptile ancestor, it still carries memories of uh, living in the age of reptiles. <laughs> there seemed to be an embarrassed silence from his evolutionist colleagues. There's uh, no evidence that memories are encoded in the DNA and passed on to offspring. <laughs> wow, I don't even remember my great-grandmother. How am I supposed to remember great-great-great-great-great-great-great-uncle dinosaur from millions of years ago? We've seen evidence from Scripture that dinosaurs lived after Noah's flood, as well as indications that the dragons of legend were real creatures, what we now call dinosaurs. Okay, now apart from the similarity to dragons, what about artifacts that definitely look like a dinosaur? Yes. For example, here's a picture of a pillar at a temple in Angkor, Cambodia, that was built around AD 1200. The pillar features carvings of several recognizable animals, such as a monkey and a water buffalo. It also includes this one. School children from around the world have looked at this picture and said it looks like a stegosaurus. Okay, but wait a second. How did they know that? They recognized the plates on the back and the shape of the tail. It looks like a stegosaurus. Okay, but uh, how did they know what a stegosaurus looks like? Well, they've seen them in books, museums, movies. Okay, but how did this artist in 1200 AD know what a stegosaurus looked like? I mean, that was before the days of paleontology. No dinosaur fossils had been dug up yet, and there were no dinosaur books or dinosaur movies showing in your local theater. That's a good point. <laughs> Maybe the artist actually saw a stegosaurus, or at least heard a description from someone who did. Yeah, exactly. And there are other similar examples. Uh, in 1496, Bishop Bell of Carlisle was buried in the floor of Carlisle Cathedral. And you can visit his tomb to this day. And on the top of the tomb, there are a number of brass engravings, which again, include a number of recognizable creatures, such as a dog, a fish, and a bird. Seems like a recurring theme here, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And yes, and here again, we find a depiction of what clearly looks like two sauropod dinosaurs with their necks intertwined. Wait, you said 1496, right? Yeah, that's right. So again, we're seeing an artist's rendering of a dinosaur. We're told that went extinct millions of years ago, and there were no fossils to go by, so the artist must have seen something like this, or just made it up, I guess. You can see a similar image at the Louvre in Paris. There's a cylinder seal there from Mesopotamia, a post-flood culture. When rolled onto wet, malleable clay, these cylinder seals leave an impression in a similar way to how a roller stamp leaves an ink print on paper. These were used to authenticate documents, indicate uh, ownership, or decorate artifacts. This particular one leaves an impression like this when it's rolled out. Well, that looks familiar. <laughs> exactly. It looks very similar to the brass engravings on Bishop Bell's tomb. But these were made by artists separated by thousands of miles and thousands of years. So much for just making it up. Yeah, in addition to all these things, we now have good scientific evidence that dinosaurs lived recently. 
Over the last 30 years, secular scientists have identified many examples of soft tissue found in dinosaur bones. I mean, we're talking about things that cannot last for millions of years, like blood cells, blood vessels, proteins, and even dino DNA. Evolutionists obviously recognize that this is a problem, so some evolutionary scientists did experiments to determine just how long DNA could theoretically last. If it could be somehow kept continually below freezing point at minus 5 degrees Celsius, it could survive a maximum of 6.8 million years. Only about a tenth of the assumed evolutionary age. But a lot of these fossils, they're found in Montana. <laughs> and they do have summer in yeah, Montana. Yeah, they have summer in Montana, yeah. DNA can only last 2,500 years at 20 degrees Celsius. And fluctuating temperatures don't help any. And I should mention that those values uh, take the uh, DNA to maximum disintegration. Mm. Now these discoveries confirm what the Bible says about history. The dinosaurs have lived recently, which of course is why we find the fossils in the sedimentary rock laid down by Noah's flood. Now perhaps if people like Tom Holland knew about this, then dinosaurs wouldn't present such a challenge to their faith. Dinosaurs have lived since the time of Noah's flood. Uh, this, of course, means that dinosaurs must have survived the flood, which means they were on the ark. How could those sauropods possibly fit? <laughs> well, to begin with, the ark was a lot bigger than most people realize. Uh, you might have seen a picture in Sunday school of a cute little bathtub ark, uh, but it was actually about one and a half football fields long. The ark measured 300 cubits in length, which is about 450 feet, uh, it was 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Now, it's been calculated that the ark could hold the equivalent volume of 522 railway stock cars. That's a lot of space. Once we consider that not all species we know of today needed to be on the ark, we see that all of the animals, plus the food and water they needed for a year, would take up only about one-third of the space in the ark. But what about those really big dinosaurs? Well, the thing is, not all dinosaurs were huge. Uh, some were as small as a chicken. Uh, but even the rea really big ones weren't a problem because they were quite small in the first few years, and they went through a growth spurt like teenagers do. It would be easy for God to send juvenile dinosaurs that hadn't hit their growth spurt yet, which means there was lots of room for them as well. Where are they now? Now, certainly most dinosaurs, except the ones on the ark, died in Noah's flood, which explains all of those dinosaur fossils. But what happened to the ones who survived the flood and their descendants? Now, over the years, some creationists have suggested that dinosaurs might still be living in some long-forgotten corner of the world, which is a fascinating idea. There have been reports over the years of creatures that sound like dinosaurs having been sighted. Examples include the Loch Ness Monster and Mokelium Bembe, a sauropod-like creature reported to be living in the Congo Basin of Africa. But sightings of these creatures go back quite a few years, and they were never anything more than sightings. As much as we at CMI would be happy to find a dinosaur living today, and we do affirm that dinosaurs have lived recently, we need something a little more concrete. We've now had several decades to investigate these claims, but the evidence just isn't there. Yeah, unfortunately, eyewitness testimony is notoriously unreliable for a number of reasons, uh, including those related to our fallen human condition. Um, and even honest people can be prone to confirmation bias, so they see uh, what they are you know, expecting to see. Uh, we even have examples on our website of various evidences that have disappeared or turned out to be something else. 
And you can read about some of those evidences to avoid at creation.com slash don't use. But back to dinosaurs. Yeah. A lot of people now own smartphones, which makes it really easy to take a picture. <laughs> and satellites do a pretty good job of looking at the whole Earth comprehensively in real time. The imagery has enough resolution to see large animals from space. And let us not forget what can be seen from lower flying aircraft. We can see even elephants and whales in those images. Why no large dinosaurs? Yeah, not only that, but large animals need a population if the species is going to persist for centuries, whereas most alleged sightings are of individual animals. While it's true that uh, some carnivores are solitary, all this means is that the population density is low. They still need a population size of tens of thousands uh, to maintain genetic viability over time. So anyway, I think we uh, really can come to the grips with this fact that you know dinosaurs really are extinct which really shouldn't matter for creationists no. because there's still ample evidence that dinosaurs lived recently, enough to refute the millions of years narrative. Since biblical creationists are already held to a double standard, we should seek to use only the best arguments. That means using only solid evidence like the examples we've seen today. Yeah, and you can find all kinds of evidence that dinosaurs lived after Noah's flood at creation.com. You know, I recently had someone ask me, well, if dinosaurs are extinct, and we know they're extinct, how do we know they didn't go extinct before the flood and essentially miss the boat? Right. <laughs> but, you know, we find when we look in the fossil record through paleontology, all kinds of evidence of dinosaurs that were in the fossil record. And we know from the biblical history that's presented to us in the Bible that these uh, fossil records were laid down as a result of Noah's flood, from the floodwaters receding, and that's where all the animals were buried and became fossilized. Uh, quick sedimentation, you know, so those are just, that's just one example, but, you know, being able to provide these answers to people is often what gets them past their barrier to believing that the Bible is true and that can be trusted. That's right, but, you know, people have problems getting past the idea of the millions of years that they've been taught, and unfortunately not everybody knows uh, some of the things that you've seen on this episode today about how dinosaurs do fit into the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so like those authors we heard from at the beginning of the show, uh, they end up going with what the scientists or the, what they hear in school has to say, and, and they reject the Bible. Yeah, right. I, I've even met people, good Christians, who uh, believe that dinosaurs were non-existent, that they were a, a deception by either evolutionists or, or Satan because they just couldn't put it together but then understood once I showed that dinosaurs really are mentioned in the Bible and showed some of this evidence, then it made a lot more sense. That's right, yeah, and even if they weren't mentioned in the Bible, I don't know if there's chipmunks mentioned in the Bible, but no one ever asked where they came from. <laughs> well, anyway, the content for this week's show came from several articles in Creation Magazine, and you can receive a free digital copy of the magazine by going to creation.com slash free mag. We'd love to hear from you. If the show has helped you to understand more about science or the true history in the Bible, send us a note through the feedback section at creation.com. We'll see you next time, and remember, Christianity is an evidence-based faith. And science supports scripture. Both the Creation Magazine Live TV show and this podcast are produced by Creation Ministries International, a global think tank organization dedicated to disseminating the huge amount of scientific evidence for the accuracy of the biblical account of the origin of our universe. If you'd like to donate to keep this information coming, go to creation.com donate. And thanks for listening. <laughs>